1: Lost Radio.
2: Tonight we will go back in time to seasons pass. When 22 men graced the record fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard game, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we will explore the world of Gridiron Greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats football history and its memorabilia and the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Slick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Slick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140 plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at com. Our podcast is sponsored by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for one of the largest selections in America, football cards and memorabilia at msbsportscards.com. And we're also sponsored by BST Auctions. Check out their website for future information on their upcoming Football memorabilia and card auction at BSCauctions.com. And now it's time. I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a contributing writer to Gridiron Grace Magazine. A football history member, historian, who specializes in pre World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Lord. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squares, Joe. Sure. Welcome to the show this evening.
1: Good to be here, Captain. Thank you for the uh always eloquent introduction. It's always interesting that Steve Largent and Red Granger said in the same breath during my intro. That that
2: one's always raised my eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were two very iconic players of different time frames, to say the least. And uh you are what You are, in my opinion, and I've always said this, an expert on Red Grange and then also an expert on Steve Dodger. And it's a, a very interesting collection that you have of those two I, players.
1: I, I appreciate that, Captain. Thank you. I, I can think of about three people off the top of my head who probably know more or, or as much about Red Grange as I do. So uh, I
2: appreciate the tag. Well, you know, talking over the over the years, and, and you know, you're bringing up a lot of stuff about Grange and a lot of his uh, uh, memorabilia. Uh, to me, you are a historian of Grange and a collector of Grange uh, in, uh, I would say, up, top, up. Two, top two category, Largent, you cannot be touched. I, I, I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. And I go back to what I say all the time. I have people here locally who will see me at a show or say, hey, hey Bob, do you can you just lead me to a Steve Largent rookie card from the 77 top set? Because I can't find it anywhere. And I always saw them, you know, they're basically tied up in Portland, Oregon, uh, from the largest Steve Largent collector in America. I forget, who,
1: I forget we had a guest once who couldn't find, who actually just talked about that, and I mailed him one after the show. <laughs>
2: yep. Yeah. I forget about uh, I yeah. if any local show that I see a large and rookie, uh I just basically buy him because I know down the road <laughs> somebody's gonna ask me for one here in uh, New England. Yeah. So But shifting gears a little, Joe, uh, we we have a, a troubling hobby issue that's coming to light again and something we talked about in a couple of previous shows over the past four years. And that's the issue of the 1948 Leaf football set. And it's an issue with recoloring. It's an issue of retrimming. It's an issue of uh, cards being slabbed that are trimmed with, uh, to me, very misguided uh, grades on them. Can you uh, give us a little history and background and and fill in our audience on this, this problem again?
1: Yeah, and I wrote an article about this and, uh you know grid, you know Gridiron Grade number fifty one. I think that was about a year ago, wasn't it?
2: I forget. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah.
1: It's it's kind of resurfaced again. I, you know, a couple of people have emailed me asking about it, and then there's a a friend of ours, a fellow a fellow collector, uh, who uh, has voiced recently that he's been tracking the issue as well, which kind of you know brought it back to light. And uh, basically, it's not just the four eight leaf set, but the the leaf set is the one that I I track the most. It's the the set that I'm most passionate about. You know, during my collecting years, but it's the chicle, it's the leaf, mm-hmm. it's the. I, I'm and I'm I I think it's easier in modern cards. I don't collect as many modern cards, but I've I've actually been at the national, hung out with, you know, uh, you know with dealers and watched them trim cards and uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and how they, how they trim them. And you're talking modern cards. You're talking a 64th of an inch. I mean, you know, when you, when you trim it, you know, the little piece of cardboard, you know, curls up, you know, and falls in the ground because it's so thin and they put wrench. it in the top loader, and they took, they literally took a socket wrench to the edge to, to make it look like it had been factory, but, uh, you know, that's modern stuff. I mean, so when people are, you know, when people are saying, well, I don't know, you know, does trimming exist? I've seen it with my own two eyes, you know, trimming. So, uh, so yes, it exists. Um, but, you know, what we wanted to talk about today was the leaf set. So I think the leaf set is the most, one of the most prolifically doctored sets out there, uh, just because of the variations that are inherent within the set. Uh, like I wrote in the article, um, you know, the, and just a little bit of background, the, you know, the four day leaf set is one of the sets that I fell in love with when I started getting back into collecting, you know, back mm-hmm. in, you know, 2001, 2002, uh, I remember seeing the George Savitsky card. Is one of the first ones I saw. I'm just like, wow, that is an amazing looking set. Uh, the, the history, in it, I think there's a dozen Hall of Fame rookie cards in the set. You know, from right. Bobby Lane, to Vidnarek, Sammy Baugh. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, but uh, love the set. I probably, as you and I were talking about before the show came on, I probably own 1,000 Leaf cards, uh, and 900 of them are raw. I, I probably mm-hmm. have between five and five and six variations or copies of each card in a set. Uh, you know, you, you start getting into the second series, and, I, you know, I don't have as many, but, you know, I've got five or six Bobby Lane cards down there. And my wife used mm-hmm. to laugh at me because I'd buy these raw cards, and I would measure them. I have some digital calipers. I'd, uh, I'd just measure them. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I'd track what the dimensions are. I'd put the card in a penny sleeve and then put it in a top loader. And then jot the dimensions on the back in a sharpie, so that I could track each mm-hmm. one. Um, you know, so I have a spreadsheet somewhere on my laptop that's just got, you know, Bobby Leaf card number three, and then on the back in sharpies written. I know the dimensions. And what mm-hmm. I came to determine is the average dimension of the leaf set is 60 millimeters by 70 millimeters. There's a, a long end and a top end, you know, and a and a, and a shallow end. Some of the cards are horizontal. Some of them are, most of them are vertical. Uh, obviously, on the vertical ones, they're 70 feet, 70 millimeters tall and 60 wide. And I mm. just began, you know, if if you buy a card slabbed, you can also measure them within the slab. Uh, a little more difficult, but you can do that with some patience. And I began to notice what the smallest card, you know, that PSA will slab, is about 56 by 65.
2: Uh, so sixty so by seventy, yeah. About okay, so how, how far is the how far is the deviation then? So we're looking at a point five and a point ten, or yeah, uh, from the 60, uh, Okay.
1: Yeah, so sixty by seventy is your average. Um I've
2: yeah. seen
1: them as small as fifty-six by sixty-five. So that's minus three to four millimeters on the small okay. end, and minus five millimeters on the large end. And I've seen uh-huh. them as large as 64 by 75. So, I mean, as I wrote in the article, you, I mean, the, you know, this leaf set is fraught with printing errors. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, black name on, on front, white name on front, uh, you know, white between the legs, uh-huh. you know, Johnny misspelled, Johnny good, gorgeous George or no gorgeous. I mean, you, anybody who collects a set knows that it's just fraught with printing errors.
2: So yeah, it's, yeah.
1: it's not not a not a stretch of the imagination to realize that you know if it's printed so you know so shoddily it was it was probably cut shoddily. Um, so you, right. it's just a PSA accepted standard that there are variations on it. And there's you know in modern sets there's no variation. They're you know they're 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 guided and they're laser cut. On this one, right. you tell they just the attention to detail wasn't there. So you've got it as small as, let's say, 56 millimeters and as large as 64 millimeters on the short side, and as small as 65 and as large as 75 on the long side. If you take the delta between that 65 and 75 on the long side, that's 10 millimeters or about three-eighths of an inch. Three-eighths of an inch on a card is a lot of wiggle room.
2: Uh, Those are grading
1: standards. If you found a card that was, you know, 62 by 72 you know, I mean, that, that's, you, you trim one to, you know, you trim one to three millimeters off of it. You're still well within PSA's grading standard. And, uh, and, and you can, and you can slip it by a grader and get it slabbed. So if you find that Chuck mm-hmm. arc card, that's a little bit fat bordered. And, uh, and you, you know what you're doing. You can get it into a card or into a holder and sell it. And that's the problem with the industry right now. Uh, I love this set And I, I I've been tracking it for years, but you know, three four years ago, as I started seeing these very very thin cards getting graded and getting sold, it it bothered me, and I began. Yeah, I mean, my it,
2: it, it, it's just another to me reason why I tr- I truly dislike graded cards, and, uh, and anybody who knows me knows my arguments on it. But in this case, mm-hmm. you know, here here's a here's a prime example. You're being you're basically being fraudulently sold a card that's been doctored and stated as something that it isn't. So if you take it out and you try to sell it raw and somebody actually, you know, goes through it and say, hey, you know, this looks like it was trimmed, this looks like it was recolored, yada, yada, yada. Why am I buying this card? This card is worthless to me. And, and, and every time we talk about this, I, I pull my 48-leaf binder out and I got a lot of cards that are beaters. I got a lot of cards that are waiting on them. And so I know they're pretty, to me, they're pretty much real cards. I, I do do some yeah. um, a measuring of them at the same time, and I see some of them are off, and I can see how they're legitimately off. Some are basically just worn down type of them. But I'm saying to myself, I feel like I got a legitimate 48-leaf set. And, again, I collected that set back in the 80s, mm-hmm. um, yep. and, the, and the last few cards that I needed, I basically traded with a good friend of mine in the 90s, so I'm pretty much confident they're not doctored, but I'm saying to myself, why yeah. would anybody want to collect that sip today, you know, today, especially with all this going on? And I think a lot of it is just, is just fueled by the hysteria of a graded card in, in, in a particular condition, and it makes no sense to me. Yeah. It really does you know. We've, we've said it a hundred times, the registry is a hell of a drug. Yeah, and and again, you know, you see a, see overpressure on rookie cards being graded. You know, PSA nines, PSA tens, and uh, I guess I'm supposed to jump up and down if I had a PSA ten and I spent let's say one hundred fifty thousand dollars on the card when the card really only, you know, if it's a near mint card or mint card in in, uh, in a Beckett book, it, it should go for four or five thousand dollars. What justifies yeah. that kind of price increase? You know, it doesn't make sense. It's irrational, and it's going to hurt the hobby in the long run. I and mean, I think. And, and, and I think it's certainly hobby right now, more than anything else, you know. Well, and,
1: and to think that people are aware that trimming goes on is a misnomer because uh, about five years ago, there was, a, there was a, a heavy hitter who came into the leaf set and started buying up a lot of high-end leaves. And there was a PSA 8.5 George Connor that was listed on eBay for like $10,000. And it, it was just sitting there wallowing for a year. Nobody who knew anything mm-hmm. about the industry was buying it because everybody in the know knew it was trimmed. Well, this new guy comes mm-hmm. along, gets to buy it now on it. And, you know, I saw the card disappear. And at one point, about a week later, I'm talking to him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm talking about trimmed cards. And I go, yeah, take that George Connor that was just on eBay. I mean, it was trimmed. Mm-hmm. He's like, I bought that. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean? How do you know it's trimmed? And I'm like, look at it. Compare it to some of your other cards that are good. I mean, just look at it. And he's like, well, i it the mm-hmm. I and mean, his his excuse was it's slabbed it's been authenticated by you know a third party grader than p s a in this instance. i mean it's been authenticated they guarantee it's not trimmed and I'm like oh my 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 uh, so I mean there are people out there who take the fact that it's in a slab as the gospel and it's a good card and it's actually not um
2: mm-hmm.
1: i, mean, I, I I'm sure you've done it too, but never get cheated. You know, Joe Orlando's, you know, you know, catchy little tagline is an ironic joke amongst, you know, most collectors. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, here's this gentleman who bought a trimmed card. I'm like, that's, that's useless. Um, and then, you know, about a year later, he started selling cards off. Uh, I, I, you know, for other reasons, but yeah, that, that's kind of tough. Cause I had a really nice PSA eight George Connor that was full sized. Uh, you know who knows? maybe it was a really large yeah i mean it was full sized and
2: uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: when when a when a trimmed card comes up on eBay and the educated people don't bid on it, you know, and a card that usually goes for three thousand goes for fifteen hundred because most of the heavy hitters who who are knowledgeable about the set skip it uh it dilutes uh-huh. it, it dilutes the value of the higher end cards you know
2: uh-huh.
1: and you've all you've also got the card doctors out there who are buying really good looking you know PSA four, five, and six cards, and they're they're going to crack them out and take them. I mean, you can you can tell when a card is full bordered. You can look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got a ding mm-hmm. corner. It's got a ding corner, or you know, or you know, or some paper loss in the very tip corner. And it's and you can mm-hmm. trim two three millimeters off that to get rid of that corner. There are people who are buying those really nice PSA five cards. That's the sweet spot. You know, you spend fifty or sixty dollars on a PSA five card. And you have time on your hands. Uh yep. you know yep. Yeah, that
2: that so. relates to it, it kinda of relates to me. I uh probably a couple of months back I went to a local show and a fella uh had some PSA graded exhibit cards and he's trying to tell me how rare they are, blah blah blah. Well there there were like threes and fours. And I said to him, you know, I I, I only collect raw cards. So he said, well, just buy it and then and crack it out. And I said, well, why would I buy something that's holder when I have no intention of keeping the holder, and I got to pay three times as much of what it costs raw, only to throw the the throw it out. So then he's trying to argue with me. Well, you know, it's authentic. I said, well, not really, because I and then I and I actually told him about the forty-eight lease. He had no clue what to come back with. You know what I mean? And yeah. he basically ignored me after I said that, and i and you know, I'm saying to myself, and I don't go around to a show and try to tell people you know i I just yeah. act like a normal customer walking around there. I'm not trying to you know blow my horn or anything like that, but still so, it's well it's, Bob it's the, mo- the, moment, the moment the moment you open your voice, people are like, "Are you Bob Swick from Gridiron Great's podcast <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. how many how many times during a show does that happen yeah exactly so it, it's it's a it's a question to me, you know. You want to be a dealer, you're going to set up. And I, and I do give the local yeah. dealers a lot of um, leeway because I know a lot of these guys are weekend warriors or a lot of these guys in heritage collections, they just want to unload them, that type of situation. And they, they read, you know, oh, I got something graded, so therefore it's 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 the best thing ever. Not realize yep. uh, in a lot of cases it's garbage more than anything else. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, uh, well, it, it's a tough situation. And again... I feel bad for the 48 leaf set because again, you only have the 48 and 49 leaf set. And again, you know, to mm-hmm. really date myself, the first 49 leaps I picked up were, were in the 70s, and I'm saying to myself, "Wow, this is a big set. It was like from one to card 154 <laughs> or whatever it was." And I've yeah. been, you know, as the years went on and I finally got my first price guide back in the eighties, I'm saying, Wow, that's a skip number So I always wondered why I never saw any of those other cards er, <laughs> collecting over the years, you know, type of thing. And, you know, it's stuff like that that the innocence of the happy to me is long gone. When you got a situation now today, you know, fast forward thirty, you know, forty years later where the biggest concern is to buy a raw card and get it into, you know, encased in a slab holder for as long as possible, you know, as fast as possible in order to drive up the price of that card 10 times uh, over. And yep. You know, it, it really it, and I, it makes I, no sense to me. Whatsoever. And I'll you admit,
1: know? I'm a recovering, uh, you know, registry, you know, addict. I mean, uh, I oh, still yeah. have slabbed cards, but but most of my cards are slapped now are because I want to physically protect them, you know, tickets, postcards, yeah. you know, et cetera. So, but, uh, lots of, I, I, you know, in the article I touched on, you know, 10 things that, uh, you know, and it's, you know, trimming is the biggest thing, you know, it's what most people look for, uh, you know, smelling a card, you're feeling it, touching it up to your lips. I mean, smelling, I mean, you know, cards should, could yeah. should smell like a 70 year old card. I mean, feeling it, yeah. feeling yeah. it for wetness to see if it's been soaked recently, uh, you know, looking at it under your loop, looking for striations. Uh, and, you know, on an ex-grader, you know, probably about eight, nine years ago, told me about striations. I remember at the Baltimore uh, the Baltimore National, he's like, blah, 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 look for striations. Like, what is a striation? He's like, oh,
2: yeah. come yeah. here,
1: Joe. You know, and he yeah. showed it to me yeah. under a loop. Uh, yeah. You know, but there are yeah. people out there who are ahead of the game who are good at recreating these striations on emery boards. Uh, you know, you get mm-hmm. you get recoloring, you get you know, and then I just recently learned about power erasing, you know, which is a fascinating thing. Laser printers, people making making their own slabs, people laser printing printing off uh, PSA flips, you know, and then uh, opening, prying right, open, right. Uh, prying open a card, and then uh, you know, slipping in a new flip on a nice looking card, and then sealing it. I mean, this this this, yep. fraught, this, this hobby is fraught with uh, people digging. You know, digging pitfalls for the poor, you know, the poor, naive yeah.
2: hobbyist. Uh, yeah, and it's hard, a, it's it is a, a hobby. It's, yeah, it, and it's, it's, and it's and a unfortunately hobby. Unfortunately, when, when money gets involved in a hobby, this is a, this is an example of what happens. All right, Joe, thanks for sure. giving us the information on the 48 Leaf. We're gonna, I believe my uh, our guest is here tonight, and our guest is an advanced football autograph, an autograph photo collector was featured in our issue number 48 uh, issue as our super collector. He hails from Overland Park, Kansas. I'd like to introduce to our listening audience this evening, Mr. Jeff Grubb. Jeff, welcome to the show this evening. Uh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, we we talked briefly in uh Chicago a couple of years back. I wish I had brought uh a couple thousand copies of issue forty eight because I know I would have sold them that day. Uh I know you had a lot of your friends there and they were they kept coming back to the table to buy up whatever I had. Yeah, well, and, the few uh, I had, they were all there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I almost called my wife and I said, Ship every forty eight you got to yeah. me overnight. Get in, get in the, to get
1: the in the, the, the call hotel so
2: I get out <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, that Jeff my, Jeff our uh, first question tonight what started you collecting football autographs and autographed football photos well it was kind of a, a uh, natural evolution for me uh, I started collecting baseball through the mail kind of haphazardly in the uh, mid 60s I grew up just south of St. Louis and you know it'll probably come out in the conversation at least once or twice today. day I'm I'm a rare duck. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals football fan, but uh, you know how voracious St. Louis Cardinal baseball fans are. So uh, as a youngster, I would write back and forth to uh, the baseball players, you know, when I was six, seven, eight years old and didn't really ever give it much thought as far as football. And then when I got uh, out of college and – uh, my work life moved me to atlanta georgia i hooked up with a couple fellow hobbyists who are now lifelong friends at this point we go to the national together and one of them mm-hmm. was uh really 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 into these uh wire photos that the uh, newspapers Ooh. had started selling off and he was he was doing a lot of baseball but he had been able to pick up several copies of football photos in large lots and things like that. And he, he offered to sell those to me and I was kind of getting into what he was doing on the baseball side. And then, you know, later that year, or maybe the next year I picked up a large lot at the national for under a dollar a photo. And at, by that point, I had joined a couple of websites which dealt uh, primarily with the through to mail uh, auto hobby. So I had a good idea Two signed from my days of sending baseball and football cards off. So it's just kind of a natural progression because you know you could, you, you only need so many uh, signed nineteen sixty nine Don Brum cards. At some point you need uh, you need some other medium to start, start getting autographs. So that, that, that's well, that's for sure. <laughs>
1: wow. So. So, Jeff, I'm not a big autograph collector. I mean, I, I collect, as Bob mentioned earlier in the show, I'm a big Steve Largent fan, and I have lots of autographs of his, including, yeah. you know, pictures that I've I've had taken with him over the years. Right. Uh, but recently, I was at a Super Bowl party down in uh, Palm Springs, and uh, the host of the party knew Johnny Lujak and Terry Baker, two uh, Heisman Trophy award winners. And uh, I got their autograph, and I got a picture with both of them, two living, you know, Heisman winners, which is pretty fascinating. And suddenly I'm, suddenly I'm starting to love these autographs. Uh, you know, it, it it kind of, I suppose that's how most people become collectors, but I'm curious. What, what are the top five things in your collection? And I I guess they don't necessarily have to be
2: autographs. I mean, do you buy anything other than autographs? uh, You you know, I would tell you that probably, you know, if, if, if somebody told me that I had to you know my wife said, "Hey, you got to drill all this down you, you get five items, all the rest of the stuff would have to go, probably at this point, not one of those items would be a uh a, an autographed item uh I've got That's a couple cool. I would tell you the uh I've got a couple uh early to mid sixties uh saint louis Cardinal football Dureen sideline jackets, one of them was worn by Mount Amick. <laughs> And the uh, other one, I haven't been able to pinpoint exactly whose it is. The, the number wasn't stitched inside. It was written with a marker, and it's bled so much I can't tell. I can tell that it's real. But, uh, you know, and then I've got a uh, a, a 1984 game ball that was uh, painted up and a Roy, awarded to Roy Green for the uh, game against the Bears. I think he had six catches, about 170 yards, maybe a couple touchdowns, things like that. When I was in graduate school, uh, that was in the mid '80s. Uh, I attended the University of Memphis, and that was right in the sweet spot of the Showboats. I was there from '83 sure. to '85, which yeah. you know was right along the same time. So I've got uh, I've got a couple items. That I gave used items from the Showboats, USFL Showboats. One being a yeah. helmet, oh, wow. the other being a, uh, uh, a white road jersey that would probably be worn. And then, uh, when I was growing up. The uh, I bought most of my sporting goods at Western Auto, and in 1966, I believe it was, Rawlings did a poster uh, for their sporting goods with pretty large black and white poster featured, uh, I'm sure it was a regional job. I can't imagine these guys uh, having any kind of nationwide popularity as far as advertising goes, but it featured Sonny Randall, uh, Bobby Joe Conrad, and Jim Bakken on a big Rawlings poster. And uh, <coughs> I'd go in and I'd stop in there two or three times on the way walking home from school and I knew the guy that owned the store and I, I'd look at the poster and I, you know, I could remember asking, you could see if you could get me another one and he probably never did ask the salesman, but he did tell me that when football season was over, and it was time to put up the baseball that he'd give it to me. And oh, that's uh, cool. he did give it to wow. me, you know, it was on my wall for probably from about 1966 until I left home to go to college in 77, you know, that one has since disappeared, but in the last twelve months, I was able to find another one on eBay that was just exactly like with the same thing, much better shape. So that's probably one of my top five items as well. I would say so. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Sports then Illustrated then probably you have the these la-
1: posters. Oh I'm, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Jeff. I was just saying Sports oh, no, Illustrated you have the- these posters, uh, like in like eighty, eighty, you know, eighty one, eighty two. And I had the Chargers ones at the time. I was a big Chargers fan at the time, Dan Pouts and Tony Lindsay. Right. About, about two months ago, I came across, I was in somebody's house, and I saw that their kids had these posters. And I took a picture and I texted it to Todd Tobias, who's a big Chargers fan. I'm like, look at this. I haven't seen one of these in 30 years, but it really <laughs> took me back,
2: you know, in time. It was kind of cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I would tell you the – I love all the signed stuff I have. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of like a little kid. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll pull two or three binders out on a Saturday night when I'm sitting on the couch, watching a football game and go through them and everything like that. So it's not that I don't really enjoy that. You know, the, the part of that I enjoy probably as much as having it is actually just sending it to somebody and getting it back. I mean, that's always kind of been a lot of fun for me. And, and, you know, one of the things that happens with these photos that I sent out, these wire photos, is a lot of the you know, I have to think that a lot of them I get signed, although they may not be unique. There may be some other signed copies of them out there. They're not like a mm-hmm. 1970 tops or a, a reproduced photo file photo or something like that. But it's really, really intriguing the amount of communication some of these players have with you. For instance, I could I, a couple of years ago I, I sent two of them to Lenny Moore for him to sign. Of course I knew Lenny he signed. Hello. He's got a small charge through the mail but but he mailed them back to me unsigned and he said, "I'll be happy to sign these for you, but I'd like you to make me a couple of copies of each of them. I've never seen them before. Could you make me copies of them before I sign them and send them back to me and I, I'll send them back." So
0: and then no, there's, okay. there's
2: been, yeah, there there's been several other times where you know it may be somebody, you know, one of the guys that I could pick out trying to to think of who done it, who basically turned turn the photo over and, and written, you know, two or three paragraphs on the back. I can remember this exact play. I can remember this game, you know, so and wow. so, so forth. So it's not uncommon, you know, it's not just like a, like going to a show and standing in line and being an autograph yeah. mill or something like that. It's, it it's not uncommon for them to either include a note and say, Hey, would you send me a copy of this or, you know, this was probably the best game of my life, <laughs> or something like that. So that makes it a lot of fun. So that's very cool, I, Jeff. I, I'm curious how do you how do you recognize if an autograph is real or not? And you know, obviously, uh, there's there's so many fake autographs out there. There's so many autopen autographs out there. There's so many autographs that may be signed by administrative people or whatever.
0: Yeah. Do you have
2: any technique? technique or anything like that. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I would tell you that uh probably as as somebody that, that is is pretty well embedded in uh that area of the hobby, I'm I am i am probably most like everybody else. You know, the first thing that I would tell you is wh- whether you're me or whether you're some wizard at PSA behind the curtain, you know, taking a look at something. Unless you saw somebody sign it, you don't know with absolute certainty that it's real i don't care what anybody says so you know whether they're getting paid for their opinion or whether they're just pontificating on the on the phone you don't know unless you've seen it what you do know what you do have a good idea of is on certain items you know provenance has a lot to do with things so like if if, if i want to invent some bardi autograph i'm going to buy a green bay packers payroll check that that's what i'm going to do i'm not going to hop on eBay and and look for the cheapest three-by-five I can find. Not saying that there aren't authentic three-by-fives out there, but, but, you know, if I want something like that and and I'm going to spend the money to get a real one or or, or for what it takes to get something like that, I'm going to go that way, you know. Also, Mm -hmm. a lot of my Mm -hmm. items for, for people that I know, that I want signed that don't sign through the mail, or either the item's too valuable to A, risk them keeping it, or B, getting lost, I'll go to the show and get them signed, and I'll stand there right in front of them and get it signed. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who have had, like, you mentioned Johnny Lou Jack and Terry Baker before. I, I can tell you that, uh, you know, Johnny Lou Jack and uh, Terry Baker are very, very, very cordial and reliable signers. I mean, uh-huh. you, you know, there are several oh, websites out there. It, yeah, it, it's a bigger hobby than you think, and there are people that that you know. There's sites like SportCollectors.net and things like that where people log in their entries and how long it took to get back, or if they get you know if they get something back oh, that's wow. stamped or auto pinned, or you know, doesn't look like something they've got in a show. You know, it, it, it's reported stuff like that. The other thing too is you got to use common sense. I mean. I'm not going to mail Tom Brady something and expect to get it back signed. And if I got it back signed, I wouldn't expect it to be real. So you know, you know, you've kind of That's got to manage. You've got to manage your expectations of what it is or uh, right. that you could expect to get. Most of your, and I would say, you know, most might be a little strong, but there are, there are a group of of. Football Hall of Famers who signed regularly through the mail for a small charge. I mentioned Lenny Moore before. Willie Davis, the Green Bay Packer, great. He does the same thing. I mean, there's there, there, there's a small group, and you got to know who they are. Dan Fouts is a is a fantastic uh, signer through the mail. So, but oh, it's just love that guy. But 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 again, you know, if you're talking about going back in time and getting, you know. Really, really old things, and, and you know, for the early days of the NFL, it's going to really have to be on, on some sort of key item, or, or there's going to have to be some sort of train of ownership that I could, I could trace back to make me comfortable spending the money on that. So, you know, there are certain things that I would absolutely just have to go without having if I couldn't verify something like that. So, well, it's, I, don't I don't know, know if that me, makes sense know. to you, but. It all makes
1: sense. Yeah, I mean that, that. It's interesting you talked about a manager, you know, or, you know, or, you know, yeah, a, an equipment manager or something making autographs. I mean that was pretty prolific back, you know, in the fifties. I I forget who it was. Bob, you might remember, but it came, I think it was Lombardi. Came out that you know, like seventy mm-hmm. percent of the Lombardi signatures were by the manager or something like that. Right.
2: Yeah. 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 You know, it's interesting. I've read Autograph Review for years. I know Jeff Morley, who's published it for um, I, he got it. he's been around for forty years plus, probably. Yes, and uh, I'm always amazed at the information contained in the little you know newsletter pamphlet that it comes out with, and how dedicated the hobby is. And, and again, it's I always find it interesting. In my case, anytime I get an autograph. I would only get it signed to Bob, so the player knows that uh, I'm not going to resell it number one or number two you know they're they're'm I'm, I'm not basically i i I have a sign like that because I want a part of my personal collection and being i want them to know I'm not getting it re signed and years ago, yeah. I used to uh supply the Atlanta Falcons with their football cards back in the late eighties early nineties, and right. uh, besides getting cash I, they used to I used to get paid for the cards, and uh, I got to know the, the press secretary quite well, and he used to feed me uh, signed Falcon football cards from these guys, and I had them all signed to Bob. And um, they were very cool about it because they realized, you know, I wasn't the type of guy that I was going to, you know, like now you're going to see in the next issue of Sports Collector's Digest, every signed Atlanta Falcon card from uh, the 1989 was yeah. available type of thing. You know what right, I mean? Right, exactly. So I th- exactly. And I think that's that's part of the hobby that I think hurts it a little. Where you got you know sixty you got sixty guys at um, I don't know a football training camp, and they're trying to overpower the ten and eleven year old kids, or they're trying to get their autographs. You know what I mean? So that that's something too that has, has to be taken yeah, into consideration. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, it's been several years since I I collected like that because it just got. You know, a couple of things. A, I got too busy work-wise to do that. I had kids that were growing up. But but the scene just got crowded and ugly in my estimation. And, you know, just recently there was something in the news about, I I guess, Jordan Spieth got into a spat with some uh, resellers at at a tournament either in Texas or California, I can't remember, where they were just basically running roughshod over over kids. Yeah. He refused I signed for him, and then they started swearing, I guess. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that that goes on. You know, interestingly enough, I, you know, my one story about through the mail, and, you know, I always try to remember that what you're really doing is, if you think about it, put yourself at somebody's place. You know, you're really sending something to somebody. You're sending it to their home nine out of ten times, and you're really asking them for a favor. You know, picture somebody yeah. you know, walking out to their mailbox every day and it's jammed full of mailing envelopes yeah. from people. They carry it into their house. They sit down at their kitchen table and either sign it or they don't sign it. So, you know, you you really – so that's why I don't get upset, A, when I get something back and they refuse to sign it or something like that. I remember one story I like to tell, and I think I mentioned it in the magazine article, was You know, only one time have I ever had a player write me back and tell me, I think I've signed enough for you. (laughs) And that was Billy Wade, the old Vanderbilt and Chicago Bears quarterback. I guess he had, Mm -hmm. over the years, over 20-some-odd years, he'd probably signed for me a dozen to 15 times. And it was a very cordial note. I mean, he was a fine Christian gentleman, a very super guy. But I could tell from from the way I interpreted the tone of his note that he must have thought I was selling everything. So, so, you know, I got everything out he'd ever signed for me and uh, made hmm. made black and white, white copies of my copy machine and sent them all back to him and said, I, I won't ever send you anything else to sign, but I just want you to know how much I've appreciated everything you signed for me. They're still a part of my collection. And just to show you, here's a copy of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. You know? So. I love stories like
1: that, you know? You know, you know the story I was telling you know earlier about you know how I met, you know two Heisman guys. I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, do you have uh, like what what were your note- most unique collecting stories of how you got autographs? I mean, you know, whether it's chasing Jerry Wright through an airport, you know, waving a Sports Illustrated, or you know, climbing through Steve Largent's open bedroom window, you know, uh, you know <laughs> what are some well, autograph seeking stories? You know?
2: <laughs> you know, I've never done anything quite like that. The uh you know, I've got a couple what I consider pretty cool hobby stories about just kind of more random than anything else. Uh, I lived in Atlanta. You mentioned the Atlanta Falcons. I lived in Atlanta for about 18 years before I moved to Kansas. And sorry to hear that. Part joke. of my <laughs> <Part> field <laughs> territory was Athens, Georgia, which which is a great football town, by the way. And and I used to spend quite a bit of time in Athens, and I was one day I was in, in Athens and I'd run behind. I hadn't been able to make it to the post office, but I had a stack of uh, probably fifteen or twenty things I was getting ready to send out to somebody to, for people to autograph. So I I run into the post office up there, and who did I run into? <laughs> but Charlie Trippy. So, so wow. I got I got a I got it yeah Charlie lives in – obviously he he played at Georgia and he still lives in Athens and uh, how, I got a chance to. Uh, well, yeah, if you spend much time paying any attention to Georgia football or sports, uh, Georgia sports, you would recognize him because he's still involved quite a bit down there. And then the second story I like to tell is it's not so much random that I got the autograph, but uh, you all remember Tommy Mason, right, the Vikings and Rams mm-hmm. running back? Yeah. yeah. So, uh I was working on trying to trying to get as many 62 posts signed as, as I could, and uh, I had sent some cards off to Tommy. It was the first time I've ever sent to him, and uh, I was told by a couple people that that uh, very very reliable signer. So you know, and you know, every autograph request I've ever sent is absolutely a handwritten letter. It's a hand addressed envelope. It's No form letter, no stamp. A return address anything. Everything's 100%. But I never put my phone number on anything. So I come home from work one day and on, on my non-work cell phone there, there's a voicemail. So I start to listen to it. Jeff, this is Tommy Mason. I need you to give me a call back. I've gotten your card sitting here. I'd like to know whether you want them personalized or do you want me to put my number on them or not. Here's my phone number. Oh, so my. I'm taking... Somebody's yanking my chain, right? But it's a Louisiana <laughs> phone number. <laughs> so I call him back, and its I, I think if I remember correctly, Tommy's passed away now. This has been several years since this happened. But I think it was a transmission shop that he owned. So I call the oh, wow. number back, and a young lady answered the phone. And I said, this may sound strange, but I got a phone call from this number. From somebody saying that they were County Mason, and they wanted to call me back and said, "Oh, yeah, Mr. Mason's here just <laughs> so wow. I talked to him for about a half an hour. True story, so that's actually just, cool, just you know wow. odd little stuff like that will happen uh, occasionally the uh and I think you I think stories Sorry. like that keep, keep stories like that really keep the hobby real for a lot of people. And I think we all, any advanced collector, probably has a story like that somewhere down the road. And to me, I mean, you couldn't ask for a more perfect setting, you know, to have the player call you back and say, you know, what do you want me to do with these type of thing, and uh, give me a call back. And wow, that's that's amazing. That's truly amazing. Exactly. That that was that was that was kind of a one kind one of a kind occurrence there. You know, like I say, these and those were cards, but these photos have led to a lot of kind of personal correspondence between myself and a player, but I've never had anybody look my phone number up on the Internet and give me a call other than Tommy. I'm still <laughs> not quite sure how he did that, <laughs> but he found me. Amazing. Jeff, i got a question. another question for you. Do you have any suggestions for Benny, a, a collector who wants to begin a collection like this? Yeah, That's a couple of things that I would say is that uh, you know, first of all, that there's there's still a, lo- a lot of people who are willing signers. You know, the thing I would tell people is to be courteous, you know, do your research. You know, don't waste your time or your money. There there are lots, lots of resources out there where you can find that, that you can correspond with, with players through the mail. Don't send somebody 15 items. And expect them to sign them. Uh-huh. You know, at the most, like- at this point, you know, in the what I'd call the old days, you know, twenty years ago or something like that, I might stick three or four cards in an envelope and just mention to somebody, you know, that they're free to keep a couple if they'd like them. And sometimes I get all four signed back, and sometimes I get two back, but rarely now. In, in you know, we're in the age of eBay and internet selling and everything like that, and of course everybody's. Yeah particularly players have gotten really jaded about this. I think if you send a handwritten request to somebody who is, you know, has a reputation or is known for being a willing signer, you know, don't stick more than one or two items in there. And then if you get it back, don't mail them another one the next week. You know, it's kind of like that. Because you're yeah. really, really yeah. tempted to do that when you're starting off. The other thing i say is, yeah. be, is be realistic about what your expectations are. You know, the the fact that, as great a player as Dan Fouts is, the fact that he will still sign items for people for free through the mail. I mean, that, to me, that, that says a lot about him, and and that's highly unusual. you got to be realistic about who, who can, you can expect to, to get back and, say, that. and just to, went do your, to, your homework.
1: Fouts went to U of O, so obviously he's a very gracious man.
2: Well, me. that's true. That's him and Steve <laughs> I, Fontaine, right? So. Exactly.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I, I have one more quick question, if you don't mind. Sure. Enough, uh, no personalized requests. Like uh, I, I met Steve Larger when I was like a ten-year-old kid, and uh, you know, probably around nineteen, or probably around two thousand two or two thousand three. I sent him a picture of me as a you know a, a kid wearing a shirt, a large shirt, and him with an afro and a corduroy jacket on. And uh, I checked it, and I was I for probably a week. I vacillated back and forth. Do I do I ask him to personalize this or just let it rip? Uh, what's your input on that? I mean, asking well, someone to personalize something. You talked about being gracious earlier.
2: Yeah, the uh, you know I I've, I've got a little experience with that. You know I've got uh, it's more in the baseball world than the football world. There there I had several photos of myself when I was young. We were either at at, at the Cardinals game with schoolboy patrol or, you know, some, some sort of organization, things like that. So, you know, I, I've never, when I set something off that I wanted somebody to personalize, I've never thought two seconds about whether to ask them to do it or not. You know, I think that's fine. There are a couple instances that, you know, I've got a real good friend of mine is a Cleveland Browns fan uh, a couple of different times over the past, several years, you know, I picked up a pretty neat photo or something like that that I knew he'd like, and the knew the player signed it, and I sent it to the mm. player and asked him to inscribe it to him and put happy birthday on it, and then I gave it to him for a oh. birthday present. So, so yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Hmm. Well, okay. it was, well Jeff, we're... we're Right. we're running out of time. Do you have any other final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? So this has been a phenomenal education as far as autographs are concerned. Well, you know, I, I, I think I told you in my note to you that I hope I could be mildly informative. <laughs> yeah, I hope I was, I can tell you, I've, I, I've done this for decades now and it, it, it uh, cool. It, it, it is just a lot of fun. It brings a lot of joy. It's something you can share with your kids. I've got a son that, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm getting ready to go to spring training next week in Florida for a week, and you know, I won't be doing a whole lot of autographing down there because I kind of like to sit back and let the kids do that down there. But it's it's just it's just a whole lot of fun, you know. And you know, like I say, if you're realistic about what your expectations are, and if you you know don't lose your mind, you know, be courteous, right. be right. thankful, realize that people are doing you a favor, and that that. Uh, they're not obliged to sign for it. I mean, the, uh, you know, that's one of the things that really kind of drove me crazy about the in person at the stadium autograph thing is, is how many people, you know, thought that just because XYZ made, made that $6 million a year playing baseball and playing football, that he was absolutely obligated to sign everything they had in their hand because they were paying his salary or something like that. But, Right. It's just not right. like that. They're, they're, you're really asking people for a piece of their time, and uh, right. it's important to remember right. that. I think. Right. Now, are you going to be at the national this summer? Yes. I am. Okay. So we'll, uh, I'll make sure I, I bring extra copies of forty-eight <laughs> at the table because <laughs> I never know. I <laughs> I'll see if I can I'll make some more friends between say, now and then. I'll have somebody come up to me and say, "How many issue 48s do you have? I'll pay any price." And then I'll have I'll oh, have the, tractor, the trailer truck back up for so you. <laughs> okay, that's right. I've got. You you. You're very welcome. Thank you Thanks for having me. Okay, Thanks, we'll see Jeff. you. Summer. Thanks for your time. Okay. Uh huh. Bye bye. Jeff Drummer. Uh, Interviewee tonight, uh, Super Collector from Issue forty eight. What a what a great article and great uh, great. What story. a nice guy. Um unbelievable. How do you, and, you know, how do you
1: run into these how do you run into these people like this, Captain? I mean like how did you initially meet Jeff and uh, how does the conversation go where you ask someone to be a super collector? Well I
2: I, during, um, our, I did find out I did find out through um a couple of collecting networks, he was a pretty big collector and, and I basically shat, shot up an email about the magazine and then uh, we did an interview and basically stayed quasi in touch over the over the past couple of years with regards to like I said I saw him at the last national in Chicago and we talked a lot and uh, you know he's, he's an encyclopedia of, of autograph knowledge and and the wire photos to me are so yeah. beautiful. Uh, they're, they're so historical, in my opinion. I I probably have about a, a dozen wire photos in my collection from the 50s, and I always found those to be fascinating. I always found them to be real history. You know what I mean? Yeah. And unfortunately today, you know, with the, most newspapers selling off their collections and the collections being sold in bulk to dealers, they're becoming yeah. more and more of a difficult find to find. And uh, when you do find them, you know, I I can see a wire photo going for five, ten, fifteen dollars. I I'm not going to pay fifty, a hundred dollars for a wire photo. I really don't. You know, it it doesn't do anything for me, type of thing. But if it's reasonably priced, it, it's a nice addition to, to the watch. You know, one way or the other. So I, I I find that find that to be interesting. And, You know, getting back to what you say, where I find these people. You know, being into the hobby as long as I have, and, and I realize yeah. I'm a dinosaur in the hobby in a lot of ways. But I always realized when I started collecting cards, there were a lot of other areas of collection for football stuff. There were programs, there were ticket stubs, or media guides. There are programs, there are uh, sports publications like the Street and Smiths. You have uh, Super Bowl programs, championship programs. You have pocket schedules, you have pennants, and there was a lot of different people out there who had. You know, real niches as far as what they were collecting, yeah. and I always found that to be real fascinating. And back in the '80s, when in the early '90s, when I was when I was even more active than I am today, and I was working part time at uh, a card shop here locally, I would I would always be amazed to see the stuff that would come into the store that people were selling. Not mm-hmm. just with football, but with all sports. And I always said to myself, "Gee, I'd I like to collect a little of everything." But I, I've always been pulled Without to the that. cards. And, and I've always been pulled to publications. And again, as the evolution of the, hobby con- evolution of the hobby continues, we're seeing more and more electronic stuff now. And I think a lot of the printed matters is going to go by the wayside, and that's going to be, uh, you know, problematic in the future, in my opinion. You know, so I agree. You something like this, a, a real autograph with a real photo, uh, is priceless, as far as I'm concerned. And to me, Jeff I really see. is preserving. The history of the game, very much so with those photos and those autographs, to say the least. Yeah, so I'm very honored he was in the magazine. And he was, uh, you know, he is truly a super collector with regards to that. You're right about wanting to collect
1: you know, everything you see come across your desk, because I mean, that's a slippery slope. I mean, I used to collect just this set and that set, and then you start seeing other sets, you're like, oh, that's amazing. And then you start, you know, getting into uncut sheets and wax packs and solos and you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, you know, that Yahoo John Stano and Angie Andy Becker turned me onto, you know, you know, you know, type one photos and programs and ticket stubs, and you know, and you know, you start delving into the history and next thing you know, you're you're all over the place. And at some point you have to take a deep breath and and decide to focus on something. So
2: And I've got a very that's something I could never do is just focus on just one area of my collection. I always collected a lot of different things because I like them. And, you know, yeah, I got a full run of football cards, which I guess I'm known for more than anything else. But, so, you know, I have a strong, you know, publication collection, obviously i got a strong ticket stub collection, so on and so forth. But again, I go back, you know, way back, back to the seventies, I used to collect when I went to a game. I made sure I saved the program and I saved the ticket stuff from the, from those games. And I never really did it in the in the uh, view that oh okay I'm going to retire from this you know 50 years from now it was always I felt like I I kept a memento and, uh, and part of the game you know games memory forming me type of thing and I thought that was very important so uh, that that's where that's where my collecting's at now we're getting real close to you know what time for our goal line stance Joe I'm handing it off to you what did we learn on tonight's show.
1: You know, I loved hearing Jeff's story about, you know, the story behind the autographs. I mean, that's the hidden fuel. I mean, you know, it's kind of like in golf. You know, you can be having a bad, bad day and suddenly you hit a really good shot and you're like, you love this. You love this thing. Uh, I, I have a, a, you know, a, a brother in law. I mean, he's married to my wife's sister and he's an ex pro baseball player. He played a year and a half in the pros. And uh, mm-hmm. w- when we go visit him in Minnesota, I mean, three, two, three times a week. Uh, he'll get something, you know, through the mail, request for autos. He played a year and a half, and uh, that was probably 20 years ago, and this guy still gets stuff for r- requests. And I just remember asking mm-hmm. him a couple of years ago, I'm like, how, many, how often do you get these things? A couple times, I'm like, well, what, what's your, you know, how do you decide who to send stuff back for? And he's like, you know, kind of like what Chess said, he was, well, i kind of keep a mental track of somebody if they, you know, he's like, no yeah. matter what, has to have a self-addressed um, envelope. You know, and uh, it was just, it was interesting hearing Jeff talk about that, and and I I've, I've been able to talk to an ex professional athlete about what the other side is perceived as, uh, you know. So yeah, that that was pretty cool to hear him, you know, kind of verify that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what about you, Jeff?
2: Well, I think it just it goes along with Jeff does is the preservation of the hobby, and uh, in a pure pure form, the players' autograph with the players' photographs and or a wire photo, action photo, and uh, to me, you cannot express the hobby any better than what he does because, again, uh, I'm all for the preservation of the game, preservation of the history of the game, and he's a, he's a uh, keeper of the game as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he's got a, he's got a unique collection that to me is basically priceless, and, um, you know, again, it's the preservation of the game, and that's what it's all about, and spreading the knowledge of, you know, what yes. that actually represents in our hobby at the same time. But down to two minutes, Joe? Quickly, any more thoughts, yeah. ideas, comments? Yeah, two two real
1: quick things, if you don't mind me going hog or serve, captain. First one, uh, you know, Jeff mentioned he's a Cardinals fan, and suddenly I felt this, you know, kind of camaraderie with him, because, you know, as a Seahawks fan, and he's a Cardinals fan. We both have one thing in common is that we hate the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, because they, the Steelers <laughs> beat both of us in Super Bowls, you know, 2005 and 2007. And they started thinking yep. about that Larry Fitzgerald touchdown with like two minutes to go, you know, in the Super Bowl, you know, where Fitzgerald just caught this thing and ran 60 yards in on a slant for a touchdown. I'm like, got it. Got him. Beat mm-hmm. the Steelers. Uh, yeah. So, sorry, sorry, John Spano, but I'm not a big Steelers fan. Uh, You know, and and the other thing is, uh, you know, Jeff mentioned, you know, here here he is a super collector collecting autographs and the top five things, if he had to whittle the collection down, he he admitted not one of them was an autograph. And I found that fascinating and incredibly respectful. Uh, And I, I thought to myself, yeah, what are my top five things? and not one of them is a Steve Largent thing. And I'm kind of known, you know, for Steve Largent. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if there's a fire mm-hmm. and I'm grabbing five things, uh, you know, most of my Steve Largen collection is going up in flames, you know. I thought that was fascinating and very insightful.
2: That's true. That's true. Well, Joe, we're almost out of time. I'd like to remind everyone, check out MSB Sports Cards, their website, msbsportscards.com, for one of the largest collections. Uh, available for sale, football cards and memorabilia on the web, and check out BSC Auctions for their upcoming auction, com. Joe, thanks for being with me tonight. And As I'd always. like to thank all our audience for listening, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman